To Grace and Duty of Being Spiritually Minded by John Owen Chapter 5 What are the objects of spiritual thoughts and what they are conversant about that evidences them and whom they are to be spiritually minded? Rules directing to steadiness and the contemplation of heavenly things and some motives to fix our thoughts with steadiness in them. Before I proceed to the next general head, in which is a principal thing, the foundation of the grace and duty inquired after in being spiritually minded, some things must be spoken of to render what has been already insisted on yet more particularly useful, and this is to inquire what are or what ought to be the special objects of those thoughts which under the qualifications laid down are the evidences of our being spiritually minded. And it may be, we may be useful to many in this by helping them to fix their minds which are apt to rove into all uncertainty. For this has befallen us through the disorder and weakness of the faculties of our souls. That sometimes what the mind guides, leads, and directs to in things spiritual and heavenly, our wills and affections through their deprivation and corruption will not comply with, and so the good designings of the mind are lost. Sometimes what the will and affections are inclined to and ready for, the mind through its weakness and inconstancy cannot lead them to the accomplishment of. So the will is present with us, but how to perform that will, we don't know. So many are barren in this spiritual duty because they do not know what to fix their minds upon, nor how to exercise their thoughts when they have chosen a subject for their meditations. So they spend their time in fruitless desires that they could use their thoughts to more purpose, rather than make any progress in the duty itself. They weary themselves, not because they are not willing to go, but because they cannot find their way. Therefore, both these things shall be spoken to, both. What are the proper objects of our spiritual thoughts, and how we may be steady in our contemplation of them? And I shall to this purpose first give some general rules, and then some particular instances in way of direction. 1. Observe the special calls of providence, and apply your minds to thoughts of the duties required in them, and by them. There's a voice in all signal dispensations of providence. Micah 6 verse 9. The Lord's voice cries to the city. And a man of wisdom shall see your name. Hear you the rod. And who has appointed it? There's a call. A cry in every rod of God. In every chastising providence. And in this he makes a declaration of his name. His holiness. His power. His greatness, this every wise substantial man will labor to discern, and so comply with the call. God is greatly provoked when it is otherwise. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see and be ashamed. Isaiah 26 verse 11. If, therefore, we would apply ourselves to our present duty, we are wisely to consider what is the voice of God in his present providential dispensations in the world. Do not hearken 
to any who would give another interpretation of them, but that they are plain declarations of his displeasure and indignation against the sins of men. Is not his wrath in them revealed from heaven against the ungodliness of men, especially such as retain the truth and unrighteousness? Are false hypocritical professors of the gospel? Does he not also signally declare the uncertainty and instability of earthly enjoyments? from life itself, to a shoe latchet, is also how vain and foolish it is to adhere inordinately to them, to fingers that appeared writing on the wall the doom of Belshazzar, did it in characters that none could read, in words that none could understand, except Daniel. But the present call of God in these things is made plain, that he may run who reads it. If the heavens gather blackness with clouds, and it thunder over us, if any that are on their journey will not believe that there is a storm coming, they must bear the severity of it. Suppose, then, this to be the voice of providence. Suppose there be in it these indications of the mind and will of God. What are the duties that we are called to by them? They may be referred to two heads. One, a diligent search into ourselves and a holy watch over ourselves with respect to those ways and sins which the displeasure of God is declared against. That present providences are indications of God's anger and displeasure we take for granted, but when this is done, the most are apt to cast the causes of them on others and to excuse themselves. So long as they see others more wicked and profligate than themselves, openly guilty of such crimes as they abhor the thoughts of, to cast all the wrath on them, and fear nothing but that they shall suffer with them. But alas, when the storm came on the ship at sea, wherein there was but one person that feared God, upon an inquiry, for whose sake it came, the lot fell on Jonah. Chapter 1, verse 7. The cause of the present storm may as well be the secret sins of professors as the open provocations of ungodly men. God will punish severely those which he has known. Amos 3, verse 2. It is therefore certainly our duty to search diligently that nothing be found resting in us against which God is declaring his displeasure. Take heed of negligence and security in this. When our Savior foretold his disciples that one of them should betray him, he who alone was guilty was the last that said, Master, is it I? Let no ground of hopes you have of your spiritual condition and acceptance with God, no sense of your sincerity in any of your duties, no visible difference between you and others in the world, impose themselves on your minds to divert them from diligence in this duty, the Lord's voice cries to the city, and a man of wisdom will see his name. Number two, a diligent endeavor to live in a holy resignation of our persons, our lives, our families, all our enjoyments to the sovereign will and wisdom of God, so as that we may be in readiness to part with all things upon his call without repining, this also is plainly declared in the voice of present providences. God is making wings for men's riches. He is shaking their habitations. 
taking away the visible defenses of their lives, proclaiming the instability and uncertainty of all things here below. And if we are not minded to contend with him, we have nothing left to give us rest and peace for a moment, but a holy resignation of all to his sovereign pleasure. Would you now know what you should fix and exercise your thoughts on, so as that they may be evidences of your being spiritually minded, I say, be frequently conversant in them about the things they lie before you, they call upon you, and will find you a just employment, count them part of your business, allow them some part of your time, do not cease until you have the testimony of your consciences that you have in sincerity stated both these duties in your minds, which will never be done without many thoughts about them. Unless it be so with you, God will be greatly displeased at the neglect of his coming and call. Now it is so plain and articulate. Fear the woeful dooms recorded. Proverbs one twenty four to 31 Isaiah 65 verse 12 Isaiah 66 verse 4 To this purpose, and if any calamity, public or private, overtakes you under a neglect of these duties, you will be woefully surprised and not know which way to turn for relief. This, therefore, is a time and season in which you may have a special trial and experiment whether you are spiritually minded or not. It is the wisdom of faith to excite and draw forth grace into exercise according to your present circumstances. If disgrace be habitually resident in you, it will put itself forth in many thoughts about these present duties. But alas, for the most part, men are apt to walk contrary to God in these things, as the wisdom of the flesh is contrary to him in all things. A great example we have with respect to these duties, especially the latter of them for one, who almost makes a diligent search into and trial of his heart and ways with respect to the procuring causes of the displeasure and judgments of God. Generally, when the tokens and evidences of them most abound, the world is full of outrageous, provoking sins. These visibly proclaim themselves to be the causes of the coming of the wrath of God on the children of disobedience. Hence, most men are apt to cast a whole reason of present judgments upon them and to put it wholly from themselves. Hence, Commonly, there is never less a self-examination than when it is called for in a peculiar manner. But as I will not deny but that the open, daring sins of the world, the procuring cause of the wrath of God against it in temporal judgments, so the wisest course for us is to refer them to the great judgment of the last day. This the Apostle directs us to in Second Thessalonians 1, verses 6-10. to 10. Our duty is to consider on what account judgment begins at the house of God, and to examine ourselves with respect to this. Number two, again, the other part of our present duty in compliance with the voice of providence is a humble resignation of ourselves and all our concerns to the will of God, sitting loose in our affections from all earthly, temporal enjoyments. This we neither do nor can do, let us profess what we will unless our thoughts are greatly exercised about the reasons for it and motives to it. 
For this is a way in which faith puts forth its efficacy to the mortification of self and all earthly enjoyments. Therefore, without this, we can make no resignation of ourselves to the will of God. But alas, how many at present who openly walk contrary to God in this, to ways, to countenances, to discourses of men, give evidence of this, their love to the present things, their contrivances for their increase and continuance grow and thrive under the calls of God to the contrary. So it was of old, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Can the generality of professors at this day give testimony to the exercise of their thoughts upon such things? It should dispose them to this holy resignation to God's will? Did they meditate on the calls of God, and thence make themselves ready to part with all at his time and pleasure? How can persons pretend to be spiritually minded? The current of whose thoughts lies in direct contrariety to the mind of God. Here lies the ground of their self-deceivings. They are professors of the gospel in a peculiar manner. They judge themselves believers. They hope they shall be saved and have many evidences for it. But one negative evidence will render a hundred that are positive, useless. All these things have I done, says the young man. Yet you lack one thing, says the Savior, and the lack of that one rendered his all things of no avail to him. Many things you have done, many things you do, Many grounds of hope abide with you. Neither yourselves nor others doubt of your condition. But are you spiritually minded? If this one thing is lacking, all the rest will be of no avail to you. You have indeed neither life nor peace. And what grounds have you to judge that you are so? If the current of your thoughts lies in direct contrariety to the present calls of God, if at such a time as this is, your love to the world be such as ever it was, and perhaps even increased, if your desires are strong to secure the things of this life to you and yours, if the daily contrivance of your minds be not how you may attain a constant resignation of yourselves and your all to the will of God, which will not be done without much thoughtfulness and meditations on the reasons of it and motives to it, cannot understand how you can judge yourselves to be spiritually minded. If any therefore shall say that they would abound more in spiritual thoughts, only they do not know what to fix them upon, I propose this in the first place, as that which will lead them to the due performance of present duties. Number two, the special trials and temptations of men call for the exercise of their thoughts in a peculiar manner with respect to them. If a man has a bodily disease, pain, or distemper, it will cause him to think much of it, whether he will or not. At least, if he is wise, he will do so. Nor will he always be complaining of the smart, but he will inquire into the causes of it, and seek for its removal. Yet are there some distempers, as lethargies, which in their own nature take away all sense and thoughts of themselves, some are of such a slow secret progress as hectic fevers that they are not taken notice of. But both these are mortal. 
And shall men be more negligent about the spiritual distempers of their souls, so to multiply temptations, the cause of all spiritual diseases, and take no thought about them? Is it not to be feared that where it is so, they are such as either in their own nature have deprived them of spiritual sins, or by their deceitfulness are leading on insensibly to death eternal? Not to have our minds exercised about these things is to be stupidly secure. Proverbs 23, 34, and 35. There is, I confess, some difficulty in this manner how to exercise our thoughts aright about our temptations. For the great way of the prevalency of temptations is by storing up multiplied thoughts about their objects, or what they lead to. And this is done occasionally, several ways. One, from the previous power of lust in the affections. This will fill the mind with thoughts. The heart will coin imaginations in compliance with it. They are the ways and means in which lust draws away the heart from duty and entices to sin. James 1 verse 14. The means at least in which men come to have eyes full of adultery. Second Peter 2 verse 14. Are to live in constant contemplation of the pleasures of sin. Secondly, they arise in our occasion by renewed representation of the object of sin, and this is twofold. First, that which is real, representations, as they can saw the wedge of gold and coveted it. Joshua 7 verse 21, Proverbs 23 verse 31. Against this is that prayer the psalmist, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Secondly, imaginary representations of sin. When the imagination be tainted are infected by lust, continually represents the pleasure of sin and the actings of it to the mind, and in this do men make provision for the flesh, to fill the lust thereof, Romans 13, verse 16. And thirdly, from the suggestions of Satan who uses all his wiles and artifices to stir up thoughts about that sin in which the temptation leads, and temptation seldom fails of its end, when it can stir up a multitude of unprofitable thoughts about its object. For when temptations multiply thoughts about sin, proceeding from some or all of these causes, and the mind has wanted itself to give them entertainment, those in whom they are do lack nothing but opportunities and occasions to commit it, taking off the power of outward restraints for the commission of actual sin. When men have so devised mischief, they practice it, when it is in the power of their hand, Micah 2 verse 1. It is no way safe to advise such persons to have many thoughts about their temptations. They will turn them all to their disadvantage. I speak to them only to whom their temptations are their affliction and their burden. And such persons also must be very careful how they allow their thoughts to be exercised about the manner of their temptations, lest it be a snare and be too difficult for them. Men may begin their thoughts of any object with abhorrency and detestation, and if it be a case of temptation, end in complacency and approbation of them. The deceitfulness of sin lays hold on something or other that lust in the mind stays upon with delectation, and so corrupts the whole frame of spirit which began the duty. There have been instances in which persons have entered with a resolution to punish sin, and been ensnared by the occasion to the commission of the sin they thought to punish. Therefore, it is seldom that the mind of any one exercised with an actual temptation is able safely to conflict with it. 
if it entertain abiding thoughts in the manner of it, or of the sin in which it leads. For sin is able to transfuse its poison into the affections from everything it has once made a bait of, especially it have already defiled the mind with pleasing contemplations of it. Yea, oftentimes a man it has some spiritual strength, and therein engages to the performance of duties. If in the midst of them the manner of his temptation is so presented to him as to take hold of his thoughts, in a moment, as if he had seen, as they say, Medusa's head, is turned into a stone, his spirits are all frozen, his strength is gone, all actings of grace cease, and his armor falls off from him, and he gives up himself a prey to his temptation. It must be a new supply of grace that can give him any deliverance. Therefore, while persons are exercised with any temptation, I do not advise them to be conversant in their thoughts about the manner of it. For sometimes remembrances of former satisfaction of their lusts sometimes surprises them with the suitableness of it to corruption not yet mortified. Sometimes a craft to Satan fixing their imagination on it will prove too difficult for them and carry them to a fresh compliance with that sin which they would be delivered from. But this season calls in a special manner for the exercise of the thoughts of men about the ways and means of deliverance from the snare in which they are taken, or the danger that they find themselves exposed to. Think of the guilt of sin, that you may be humbled for it. Think of the power of sin, that you may seek strength against it. Do not think of the manner of sin, the things that are in the world suited to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life lest you become more and more entangled with it. But the present direction is, think much of the ways of relief from the power of your temptation leading to sin. But this man, unless they are spiritually minded, are very loath to come to. I don't speak of them that love their shackles, glory in their yoke, that like their temptations well enough as those which give the most satisfactory entertainment to their minds. Such men know not well what to do unless they may in their minds converse with the object of their lusts and multiply thoughts about them continually. The apostle calls it making provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts of it. Their principal trouble is that they cannot comply with them to the utmost by reason of some outward restraint. These dwell near those fools who make a mock of sin and will ere long take up their habitation among them. But I speak, as I said before, of them only whose temptations are their afflictions, and who groan for deliverance from them. Acquaint such persons with a great, indeed only way of relief in this distress, as it is expressed in Hebrews 2 verses 17 and 18. He is a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, for Natty himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. In chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let them know that the only way for their deliverance is by acting faith and thoughts on Christ. His power to secure them that are tempted 
with the ways in which he administers a sufficiency of grace to that end, treating for relief to him on the urgency of temptations, they can hardly be brought to a compliance with it. They are ready to say, Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Is it not better to betake ourselves and to trust to our own promises, resolutions, and endeavors? With such other ways of escape as are in our own power, I shall speak nothing against any of them in their own proper place, so far as they are warranted by scripture rule. But this I say, none shall ever be delivered from perplexing temptations to the glory of God and their own spiritual advantage, but by the acting and exercising of faith on Christ Jesus and the sufficiency of his grace for our deliverance. But when men are not spiritually minded, they cannot fix their minds on spiritual things. Therefore, the men daily pine away under their temptations. Their temptations get ground upon them until their breach grows great like the sea, and there be no healing of it. I mention this only to show the weight and necessity of the duty proposed. For when men under the power of conviction are pressed with temptation, they will do anything rather than betake themselves to the only efficacious relief. Some will groan and cry out under their vexation from the torture they are put into in the conflict between their temptations and convictions. Some will betake themselves to the pretended relief that any false religion tenders to them, but to apply themselves and thoughts of faith to Jesus Christ, whose grace alone is sufficient for all, that they will not be persuaded to. We are all of us liable to temptations. Those who are not sensible of it are under the power of what the temptation leads to. And they are of two sorts. First, such as are extraordinary, when the hand of God is in them in a peculiar manner for our rebuke. It is true, God tempts none. This temptation formally leads to sin, but he orders temptation so far forth as they are afflictive and chastisements. Thus it is when he allows special corruption within to fall in conjunction with a special temptation without, and to obtain a prevalency by it. Of these there is no doubt, but any man not judicially hardened may know both his disease and the remedy. But that ordinary course of temptations which we are exercised with, needs a diligent attendance for their discovery, as well as for our deliverance from them. It is to be feared that many are kept in spiritual weakness, useless, and in darkness all their days through the power of their temptations, yet never know what they are or in what they consist. These gray hairs are sprinkled on them, yet they know it not. Some approve themselves in those very things and ways which are their temptations. Yet, in the exercise of due watchfulness, diligence, and prudence, men may know both the plague of their own hearts and their prevailing corruptions, and the ways in which it is excited through temptation with the occasions it makes use of and the advantages it takes. For instance, one may have an eminency in gifts, and usefulness or success in his labors, which gives him great acceptance with others. Such an one shall hardly avoid a double temptation. First, a spiritual pride, 
and self-exaltation. So the apostle will not admit a novice, one unexperienced in the ways of grace and deceits of sin, into the office of the ministry, lest he should be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil, 1 Timothy 3, verse 6. He himself was not without danger of it, 2 Corinthians 12, 1-7. The best of men can hardly fortify their minds against the secret workings of pride upon successes and applause, unless they keep themselves constantly balanced with thoughts of their own vileness in the sight of God. And secondly, remissness to exact universal mortification, which they countenance themselves against by their acceptance and success above others in the ministry. It were much to be desired that all who are pastors would be careful in these things, for although some of us may not much please others, yet we may so far please ourselves as to expose ourselves to these snares, and the effects of negligence in this openly appears to the disadvantage of the gospel. Others are much conversant in the world and the affairs of it. Negligence is to spiritual watch. Vanity in their conversations, love of earthly things with conformity to the world, will on all occasions impose themselves upon them. If they do not understand their temptations in this, Spiritual-mindedness will be impaired in them continually.